What's up guys? Welcome back to another episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical, where we talk all things training, nutrition, and mindset optimization, while making sure to not lose sight of the practical and applicable side of things. I'm your host, Jordan Lips, and I just wanted to say thank you for taking time out of your day to tune in. I appreciate you. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the show. In this episode, I'm going to be answering questions that you guys submitted via Instagram yesterday. So if you asked a question, thank you. There's some really good ones here, and I don't want to waste any more of your time. I'm going to try and get through as many of these as possible. So let's jump into it. First question from at Paul Filiu. What are the pros and cons of creatine? How do I take it effectively? I always hear conflicting reports. Super simple, Paul. Creatine has been reliably shown to increase strength and power output, which means better muscle growth over time. And it's also been shown to have some cognitive benefits. It's an all-around really good supplement that I'd put into the category of like definitely helps with no downsides. It's, if not the most, it's one of the most extensively researched supplements and it's one of the safest, one of the cheapest, and one of the simplest to take. So you said, how do I take it effectively? Five grams per day, taken whenever you want, consistently. So take it every day, five grams per day. It doesn't matter when you take it. It's not something that has, remember, it's not something that has an acute benefit. So it's not like you take creatine, then you go into the gym, you're stronger. It's something that has a cumulative benefit. So it's as you're taking creatine for a week, a month, a couple of months, it's having a benefit all the time. It's not something that you take and then immediately you have a benefit afterwards. So don't think of it that way. Just think of it as taking a multivitamin, right? You just take it whenever, once per day, and you're going to get the benefit. Second question from eshoop96. Actually, there are three here that are going to kind of blend into each other. So I'll let you know when we move on. But eshoop96 Things to focus on while maintaining building muscle to stay motivated. Now, I have an entire podcast on this. It's called, uh, what is it called? 10 tips for staying motivated in a muscle gain phase. But I'm going to start with, I'm going to give you the answer that I feel is the most important. You want to focus on the thing that you want to see improve. So you want to be tracking and focusing on the metrics that you want to see improve. Okay, well, what are those things in a muscle building phase? It's getting stronger. So things to focus on while in a building phase is getting stronger. And how do you focus on getting stronger? Man, you track your workouts. You make sure you're getting stronger week to week, month to month. And you really focus on going into the gym with a goal, not doing random shit every time you go in the gym, having a plan, sticking to that plan, and trying to quote unquote progressively overload, progressively do more work over time so that you can make sure that you're putting those calories to use. If you're in a muscle building phase, man, focus on building muscle. Now, this leads to the next question from Sam Viveros. says, what are the best ways to track muscle growth? Well, the best ways to track muscle growth is to track strength. I know that strength and muscle growth at some point become divergent goals, right? At some point, if you want to get really strong, you're not doing the exact same things to get really big. However, the best, technically the best way to track muscle growth is to get a muscle biopsy, is to shove a, you know, like a, something like a metal straw into your leg and then pull out a piece of the muscle and look at it under a microscope and analyze the cross-sectional area. Man, we're not doing that. Like, we're not doing that. Nobody listening to this podcast is doing that. If you want to track muscle growth, track your strength in the 6 to 30 rep range. If you're in, uh, on a, a variety of compound and isolation movements, if your strength is going up in the 6 to 30 rep range, you can sure as shit bet that you're getting bigger. If you were squatting 100 pounds for 8, and now you're squatting 100 pounds for 15, 
You have grown your quads, period. End of story. You don't need a muscle biopsy. You don't even need freaking looking in the mirror, but that would be my other one, of course, is to actually just kind of look and see if you are bigger. But man, a really objective, not just a really, but the best, in my opinion, objective way to monitor muscle growth is are you getting stronger in the hypertrophy rep ranges, which is like the six to 35 to 30 rep ranges um, on your compound isolation movements. If you are, you can bet you are getting bigger, you're growing muscle. Um, and this again, kind of kind of curtails into the next question here. It's um, by at Fit Life by Jen. She asks, if I feel like I'm making no progress, how do I know whether I should be patient and keep pushing? or change something around with diet and exercise? And, and this is a really good question. It's like, how do you know that the plan is working? How do you know that you should just be patient and stick it out? And the truth is, the only way to know is to set up really objective parameters of is this working or not? Like, it's really tough to just subjectively wake up one day and be like, is this working? Like, no, you need objective markers of progress. You need objective things that are telling you that the plan is working or the plan is not working. So let's say you're in a fat loss phase you need you know a target rate of fat loss right you need to if you're not losing you know let's say 0.5 to 1% of your body weight per week on average across let's say a month that's when you know it's not time to be patient anymore right if you've been at least 80% consistent over 30 days and you haven't seen the target rate of fat loss then it might be time to change something so the answer to this question is make sure you have objective markers that can tell you if what you're doing is working or not. So if your objective marker of is my fat loss phase or is this current calorie deficit working, if, if it is over the course of four weeks on average, I've been 80% consistent and my weight hasn't moved, well, then there you know. You know that you don't need to just be more patient. You know that you've met that threshold and it's time to make a change. In a muscle building phase, also very similar. You have a target rate of weight gain. If you're in a calorie surplus, your target weight gain is much slower than a fat loss phase. It's about one to one and a half percent of your body weight per month. That being said, it's equally objective. If over three months you've gained no weight, then you don't just need to be patient. It means you're not eating enough calories. And if you're in a muscle gain phase and it's been 12 weeks, let's say, and you're not stronger in the six to 30 rep range, like you're doing something wrong. It's, it's not time to keep being patient. So the, it's important to have really objective measures of is what I'm doing working? If you're in a fat loss phase, man, set a target rate of, of fat loss and a certain level of consistency that you have to be and a certain amount of time. And if you've met those three things and or you've met the time and the and the the level of consistency and you haven't seen the fat loss, then it's time to change something. For me and my clients, if you see that you've been 80% consistent or more and your weight hasn't gone down for at least two weeks, that's when we can at least start to discuss, discuss making a change. Similarly, on the other end, for a muscle gain phase, if you have gone two months in a row, back to back, gaining less than 1% of your body weight per month, then we talk about raising your calories. And the point is it's very objective. There's no getting emotional about it. There's no reading those the, the data the wrong way. That is the data is the data. So it's important to have really objective measures where you can look at and be like, is this working or not? And it's also important to have timeframes attached to those to those metrics because it's like, okay, if you, I didn't lose weight this in three days, Yes, it's time to continue to keep uh, to, to be patient and keep pushing. But part of having those objective measures is setting a proper time frame where you can actually expect to see results. And then when you don't see results, when you expect it to, it's probably time to at least discuss making a change. 
Next question well, is uh, from at wellness0273. What's the upper limit? Uh, sorry, what's the upper limit of whey protein you should be consuming per day? Or I'm going to say upper, upper limit of whey protein you could be consuming per day. Not necessarily should be. So this question is very interesting. A lot of people are like, how much whey protein can I have per day? Well, you have to ask yourself, like, what, what is the downside of having too much whey protein? Like, is there something bad about having too much whey protein that nobody told me about? From where I'm sitting, whey protein is just powdered food. It's a very high quality protein source, very high in uh, amino acids, high in leucine. In, pro in the protein powder form, it's very convenient, very delicious. It's a good vehicle for adding fruits and fruits and vegetables into a shake. Like, the truth is, there's no upper limit. There's no negative about having too much whey protein. There's not like, it's just powdered food. It's not some like special fucking unicorn piss supplement that's like, if you take too much of it, there's a downside. Like, it's just powdered food. So technically, I'd say there's really no real upper limit that most people are actually going to even get near um, in terms of percentage of your overall protein intake, by the way. I'm sure you could have, you know, if you're having 500, 600, 700 grams of protein all from whey protein, yes, okay, now we're talking about total protein maybe becoming an issue, not the actual source itself. So in terms of percentage of your total protein intake, I wouldn't worry about it at all, honestly. I would worry about it in an indirect context if having whey protein is causing you to avoid having other nutrient-dense meals. Like if you're just having whey protein in, in, in water and then like junk food with that, instead of making a nice whole food meal where you're getting fiber and you're having other foods, other nutrient-dense foods, other vegetables, other, other grains, other healthy fats, all that good stuff, that's when it becomes an issue. But the actual eating of whey protein protein itself doesn't at any point really independently become an issue. It's, am I having so much whey protein that I'm forgetting to eat other food that I actually is going to make me feel really great? It's at that point you can say, okay, maybe it's an issue. If you're having, you know, four shakes per day and you're forgetting to have a, sit, a nice sit down whole nutrient dense meal with vegetables and, and starchy carbs and some healthy fats, like, okay, that's now an issue. But if you told me you were having three shakes a day and the shake had, you know, spinach, berries, some frozen avocado, some nut butter, uh, some some either some milk or some water, like, man, you're doing okay. That's super nutrient dense. You're totally fine. There's no, like, it's not like whey protein at some point becomes all of a sudden bad for you. Cool. So hope that wraps that up. Next question is from MD underscore fit What to do after a four-day indulgent vacation? Please tell me I didn't gain six pounds. Well, honestly, you should just quit. I mean, you should just give up. You should just stop going to the gym. You should just continue gaining weight, like, and just continue becoming progressively less healthy. Like, just give up. I mean, four whole days on vacation, man, fuck it. Just give the fuck up. Of course not. Like, honestly, whether or not, and we can talk about this more in a second, whether or not you actually gained six pounds is not the issue. The point is, you have no other choice. You can't just give up. This is a forever game. I don't care if you went on, you've been on vacation, quote unquote, for four years and you gained 60 pounds. My advice is the same. You're never further than your next bite from turning things around. So whether or not you actually gain six pounds doesn't matter. The point is what to do after a blank period of time of being off track, quote unquote, just get back on track. You have no other choice, right? You can't just give up on yourself, give up on your health. So even if you did gain six pounds, you, what are you going to do? You're just going to quit? Of course not. You just make your next meal a good one. You just get back to your routine. And I don't even like saying 
off track or on track because man, if you had a four day indulgent vacation and you had a really good time, that's what matters, man. If you went on a four day vacation, you ate like a fucking rabbit and you weighed and measured everything and you brought your food scale, 90 year old you is gonna slap you in the fucking face. You had a four day vacation, you had a good time, just get back to your normal routine when you come home. Because what's important is, man, you only get so many vacations in your life. And if you're sitting here stressing about weight gain on a four day vacation, Man, 90-year-old you is going to slap you silly. So what do you do after a four-day indulgent vacation? You just get back to your normal routine. You don't stress about it. You don't have guilt. You don't carry those habits back into your normal life if that's not something you don't want to do, right? That's not, not something you want to do. Now, on the more practical mathematical side, please tell me I didn't gain six pounds. Man, it's possible that you did, but we have to remember that at least roughly gaining a pound of fat means eating about 3,500 calories over your maintenance per day, right? I mean, or at least to gain one pound of fat. So six pounds, what is that? Six times is 21,000 extra calories. Did you have 21 extra 21,000 extra calories above your maintenance in those four days? Man, probably not. And I'll say one more thing. There's a, there's a video on my IGTV if you guys want to go watch it on, on uh, what to do or to weigh yourself after vacation or not. But Watch your weight. Watch what happens when you go back to work. When you just go back to your normal routine, those six pounds, you don't even need to ask me because if you just go back to doing what you normally do and you don't flip a shit and you don't quit and you just get back to your normal routine, you're gonna see those six pounds come off so quickly that you won't even need to ask this question because the next time you have an indulgent vacation, you'll see that those six pounds were gone in three days when you came back, four days when you came back, one week when you came back. And you'll know next time you go on vacation, man, whatever I do, as long as I get back to my normal routine, it comes off so quickly. It's so much less consequential. It's not worth my emotional attention. It's not worth freaking out about. So I hope that helps. First thing, don't worry so much about uh, being quote unquote off track for a short period of time or a long period of time because this is a forever game. You just got to get back on track. And as far as gaining six pounds, yes, you probably didn't. It's likely a high percentage of just more salt, more carbs, more water, some, 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 uh, some more food volume, maybe a little bit of fat. But man, if you just keep weighing yourself and you just get back to your normal routine, watch how quickly that weight comes off. And then that cycle of having gained the weight and then watching it come off fairly quickly is gonna be really empowering for the next time you go on vacation because you're gonna know that that's how it works. Quick sip of water here. Alrighty, next question, Atari22 says, how to train or exercise to reduce or keep cortisol in check? I love this question. I'm getting a little riled up. Um, so cortisol is your stress hormone. Uh, it's it, it's extremely important hormone. It's not some, it's something that we, I think it's a really bad rap. It's like this boogeyman. We always want to suppress cortisol. You don't. It's, just, it's a super important um, hormone. But in this context of keeping it in check, keeping it where it should be in the context of training, yes, it's an important question. My answer to this question is very simple. You shouldn't be training or exercising in any specific way to keep cortisol in check. What you should be doing is taking proper breaks, right? So three or four things come to mind in terms of keeping cortisol in check. One is not training too much, right? No training seven days a week. Likely no training six days a week. Having at least two rest days per week ensures that you're at the very least being able to recover week to week. Number two is making sure you're eating enough calories, Man, cortisol goes up when you're in a calorie deficit. That's why a lot of people can retain some water when they go into a calorie deficit. That's why some people, when they reverse diet, they lose weight. 
because cortisol goes down when you eat more calories. So if you want to keep cortisol in check, make sure you're not in a huge deficit. Make sure you're not in a deficit at all. And if you are in a deficit, then keeping cortisol in check isn't your number one priority. Fat loss is, and it's going to come with your cortisol rising over time. Now, again, other than calories, you can do other things like making sure you're having two rest days, at least, man, at least two rest days, probably between two and four rest days um, per week. None of this training six or seven days per week. Also, eating enough carbohydrates. Carbohydrates, um, more than any other macronutrient, help with uh, keeping cortisol away from getting too high. So you often see people who are training really hard and on a low-carbohydrate uh, diet have cortisol go up. And then a lot of times when they eat carbohydrates, they feel a whole lot better. So don't train too much. Make sure you're taking enough breaks during the week. Make sure you're taking enough deloads. You, man, I could, you, you guys know me. You can you know I can harp on deloads all fucking day. If you don't know what a deload is, uh, I'll attach a link to uh, in the description of the podcast to my uh, my podcast on deloads. But don't overtrain. That's how you keep cortisol in check, right? And don't overtrain has multi, is very multifactorial, but it starts with don't train too much and take necessary breaks and recovery. Eat enough calories, eat enough carbohydrates, and get enough sleep. Get seven to nine hours of sleep on average. And what's what somebody you know said to me once is, man, take a look at your week. Are you getting 50 hours of sleep? And it doesn't necessarily work in like a bank sort of way where you can get 10 hours of sleep and then four hours of sleep and then 10 hours and four hours and that it's the same as getting seven hours. It's not. But are you getting 50 hours of sleep? If you're not getting 50 hours of sleep, then stop worrying about cortisol so much and start worrying about your like nighttime routine and your sleep hygiene and getting more hours of sleep, right? So just to sum that up, how to train exercise to reduce or keep cortisol in check. One is manage your training volume. Make sure that you're not overtraining, training too much. Make sure you're taking necessary time to recover in between weeks, but also in between blocks, right? So taking rest days during the week, taking deloads in between blocks. Make sure you're eating enough calories. Make sure you're eating enough carbohydrate. And man, get seven to nine hours of sleep. And if you're doing all that stuff, your cortisol will be in check. And if it's not, go get it checked out. Next is from at Weights and Pizza Dates. Hi, Kim. Why do you think so many people say they want to quote tone and don't understand fat loss versus muscle building? Huh. Honestly, why do I think most people say or think anything? It's because they've been told that. Like most people have no fucking clue what they're talking about in health and fitness. And that's okay because it's not their profession. It's like you can only be so good at so many things in life and most people aren't going to spend the time to really understand the difference between or, or, or you know, understand the fact that toning is kind of a made up word and that it's really about losing fat and building muscle. And that's okay. That That's what it's okay in the sense of like that's capitalism. Like marketing is going to be geared towards the shit that sells and saying stuff like toned sells. So why do so many people say they want to tone? Well, because they've been told that and because they've been brainwashed into thinking that they can just, you know, quote, build lean muscle, long, this long, lean, toned muscle. They've just been told that. And that's why I think most people think it. But to clear that up right here, in case anybody is in that camp of still thinks that this exists, toning isn't really a thing. What toning means, it means the absence of fat and the presence of muscle. If you want to look toned, you need to get leaner and likely build muscle. And those are also two usually divergent goals, right? You're probably going to have to spend some time in a surplus, some time in a deficit, and then eventually get to your quote-unquote toned physique. But I think a lot of people think what they think in terms of health and fitness because they've been marketed towards that, right? And specifically, women have been have got the shit end of the stick of 
being marketed towards this bullshit. And I made a post yesterday about this fucking girl like jumping around with 17 booty bands on because it sells. But meanwhile, she's shredded to the bone, potentially on anabolics, like looks unbelievable, probably Photoshopped. And she's doing like little side glute band kickbacks. Like that's not how she got her body. So this idea of tone and this idea of um, long and lean muscles, like it's just marketing and, and, you know, why do we think anything? Honestly, most of the time people don't, people aren't skeptical. They're not, they're not critical enough of what they're hearing from the media or social media. I guess those are the same thing. Um, and they just believe what they hear. And honestly, I, I don't know if I blame people, but I'm starting to wish that people were a bit more skeptical, a bit more critical, a bit more questioning of the shit that they hear and they see. But I, I, I will say this on, on a whole in the fitness industry, I do believe we're trending in the right direction. Um, and maybe that's me in an echo chamber with a lot of people that I, I see are doing a really good job and the call out culture, you know, hoping to end a lot of the bullshit. And, and at least in my circle, I'm, I'm starting to see a bit more critical thinking, which makes me super happy. But if you're out there and it sounds too good to be true and it sounds woo woo and it sounds like someone's trying to sell you something, man, they probably are. And anytime somebody uses toned, they're probably trying to sell you something. Cool. Where are we here? We're at 20 minutes. I'm going to do a couple more here. Um, this one is from CXTN Source Rex. Refeed strategies when in a deficit. When, why, how? And I'm going to keep this short because this could probably be a whole podcast, but here's the deal. Refeed strategies are just a form of calorie cycling, period. Like having a refeed is just eating more and changing the average calories you eat across the week. So someone's like, oh, I'm having a refeed this week. No, you're not. You're having two high calorie days and you're choosing to uh, um, break down your weekly calories in a way where maybe you eat lower calories on five days and higher calories on two days. But when you call it a refeed, you make it this like, this like, uh, you, you like validate potentially eating like shit. You like make it into this like mythical beast, like that it's some crazy thing. Like you're just eating more on two days. Like often people are like, yeah, I'm having a refeed, like th three day weekend, three day refeed, you know, like, okay, like that's fine. So you're having three high calorie days and you're changing the average calories across the week. And that's fine because I'll say this right now. I'll, I'll go on the record. Like there's very little evidence that refeeds independently make any difference outside of the fact that you're just eating more calories for three days. And then you're going to feel better for three days. But if you take the same amount of calories across the week, and you spread them evenly across seven days, or you have five low days and two quote unquote refeed days where you eat a little bit more, man, you're gonna make the same progress. So people are like, oh, refeed strategies went in a deficit. I'll, I'll say this, if you are interested in refeed strategies, go listen to my podcast, I'll put it in the description here on calorie cycling 101, because th that is what refeeds is. Refeed just means high calorie day. And when you wanna talk about strategies of when to have high calorie days, it's really just personal preference. Are you going to be able to enjoy and adhere to your deficit better doing five low calorie days and then a two day refeed or doing 11 low calorie days and then a three day refeed? Or are you gonna do better with seven days in a row and no refeeds? So when someone's like, oh, refeed strategies, I'm like, okay, like these are the options. Maybe you do Monday through Friday a little bit lower, Saturday and Sunday a little bit higher. Or you do 11 days in a row a little bit lower and then three days in a row a little bit higher. But at the end of the day, you like you need to decide if that's going to work for you. So refeed strategies, man, I could, I, we could, you can break down your calories however the fuck you want. That's like asking me, you know, what are some spending strategies in order to save more money? It's like okay, like maybe spend a little bit less over here and a little bit more over here, and you'll net a, a, a more enjoyable life. Like 
maybe stop spending so much money on going out to dinner and start spending more money on uh, uh, new furniture. Like maybe that gives your life, makes your life better. Like refeed strategies are just personal preference. If you can adhere to and enjoy your life better by splitting up your calories in a specific way, then do that. And I, just a teaser for that podcast, I, I think I just discuss maybe three or four methods, one of which would be a five and two method, like we just talked about, five days low, two days high, or an 11-3 method, which is 11 days in the deficit, three days, quote unquote, refeed and maintenance, or high and low days based on your training days. So eating more on your training days, eating less on your on your rest days. By the way, I'm not a fan of this. Um, or not using refeeds at all and just taking them as you need them as a really short diet break. And the truth is, it's just personal preference. I, I just, it bugs the shit out of me a little bit. I, I think if you guys can't tell that like when we call it a refeed, we make it into this like special thing. Man, you're just eating more for a couple of days. And, and all you're doing is, you know, increasing the total amount of calories across the week that you have. And if you wanna not use refeeds, guess what? You get to eat more on all the other days. Right? If you want to that the if you want to have seven days in a row of the same calories, it's going to be higher than if you do the five and two strategy. It's going to be higher uh, on on five those higher than those five days, those low calorie days. Like refeeds are just calorie cycling. They're just having high days and then low days, and there's nothing special. And also for the record, you're not reducing metabolic adaptation by having a refeed. You're not having any permanent effect on your leptin, on your satiety, or your hunger signals. You're not. It, you're, the minute you go back into a deficit, we see leptin and, and, and base metabolic rate come all the way back to normal almost immediately. The only way to have any lasting effect on base metabolic rate and leptin and metabolic adaptation is to stay at maintenance, which, you know, a refeed is maintenance, right? So you're almost there, but not for two fucking days, for weeks and months. So refeeds aren't going to have any lasting benefit on your, on, your, on, your, on your metabolism, on your leptin. They're just a couple days out of a deficit that feel really good. So if that if that allows you to adhere to your deficit better, then do it. But if it doesn't, then don't do it. Last question here. Uh, let's see. Okay, um, from macros and mug cakes. Any advice for squatting to depth for someone with tight hip flexors? I foam roll and stretch. Now I'm going to keep this short and sweet. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not a physical therapist. And so this, uh, this idea that I'm going to be able to diagnose uh, 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 something that can be very multifactorial over, over like a Q&A here is really tough. And I just wanted to say that and I picked this question on purpose because it's really difficult to, to discern why you're not able to squat to death to depth without seeing you squat and without spending some time with you and asking asking you some questions. So if you're out there and you have an, an issue and you're asking someone on Instagram, man, those people need more context. They need to get to know you. They need to see you move. I need to see you do other exercises, other movement patterns. What are some limiting muscles? So the truth is I have no fucking clue. What I will say is really question how you came to the fact that you think you have tight hip flexors. Like, do you really have tight hip flexors? Who decided you have tight, you have tight hip flexors? If you foam roll and stretch all the time, you probably don't have tight hip flexors. It's probably a, a stability or a strength issue with other surrounding muscles. Maybe it's low back, uh, 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 like fatigue, an inability to support the weight all the way through depth. If you're stretching and foam rolling your hip flexors all the time, then you can't, still can't squat to depth. Like my guess is it's not tight hip flexors. And I would really question that diagnosis because the truth is most of us 
you know, yeah, my hamstrings are really tight when in reality your glutes are tight or your lower back is tight or your lower back or, or your hamstrings are just weak. They're not tight. Um, so this, this like self-diagnosis sometimes goes awry and it leads you down this path of like a fuck ton of foam rolling and stretching when in reality, you know, you have weak glutes or whatever it is. Um, anyway, I hope that helps and I hope you find somebody who's going to be able to take the time to, to look at your movement patterns and really decide for sure what the best course of action is. All right, guys, that's it for today. I really appreciate everybody who asked a question. There were a couple that, that there were actually quite a few here now that I'm scrolling through that didn't get answered. So I'm going to make a note and I'm going to put them on my next Q&A and I really appreciate everybody who asked a question. Thank you so much and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Leads Practical. If you enjoyed it, if you found value, do me a favor and take a screenshot of your phone and post it to your social media. If you do, tag me so I can say thanks. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at Jordan Lips Fitness on Instagram, or you can email me, jordanlips at jordanlipsfitness.com, or check out the website, jordanlipsfitness.com. I'd love to chat. Have a great day.